0: kids running out of here. I'm inspired too, the future leaders of America. Nothing, uh, nothing better than that. Well, hey, good morning, everybody. Good morning. like it. Energy. Welcome to Covenant Church. I want to take a moment to welcome all of our visitors, all of our guests. I'm so glad that you're here. Wherever you are in your spiritual journey, if you've been walking with Jesus for decades upon decades upon decades, or if you're just new to this whole Christianity thing, I want to take the time to welcome you. I'm so glad that you're here, and I hope you feel a part of this great community. Well, my name is Ben Espinoza. I serve on staff here at Covenant Church, and I hope each and every one of you had a great New Year's Eve, New Year's Day celebration. I, I love this time of the year, the very beginning of the year, because there's always this, this sense of a new beginning, a second chance. If the, if the previous year, if 2014 didn't go so well, or if you didn't accomplish everything that you wanted to, or if you failed miserably in keeping all of your New Year's resolutions last year, this is the time to start afresh. And inevitably, most of you are going to come out with a lot of New Year's resolutions. How many of you have New Year's resolutions? A lot of driven, ambitious people here. (laughs) I want (laughs) to... I want to take a moment to thank Craig Dixon for his, uh, for his message last week about how our ultimate New Year's resolution should be more and more like Jesus. That was a powerful message. And Craig, I hope you don't mind if I steal your introduction a little bit. Is that all right with you? Okay, thank you so much. Well, hey, I did a little bit of research, speaking of New Year's resolutions, on New Year's resolutions here in the United States, and I... Came up with a list of all of the most popular New Year's resolutions here in the, in the United States. And I got it from our, our uh, government's website, so you know it's uh, accurate and reliable. Here are a bunch of New Year's resolutions, the most popular. Lose weight. Volunteer to help others. Quit smoking. Always a good one. Get a better education. Get a better job. Save money. Get fit. Eat healthy food. Manage stress. Manage debt. Take a trip. Reduce, reuse, Recycle and drink less alcohol. Now, all these New Year's resolutions are very, very good. They're aimed at improving your health, your quality of life, how you feel, how you look, how you actually live your life. Now, most of you know me as a pretty positive guy, usually pretty energetic, jumping around a lot, you know, smiling quite a bit. But let me be candid with you, okay? Let me be very frank. Most of you, statistically, are going to fail miserably at keeping all of your New Year's resolutions, okay? You're going to succumb to that piece of cheesecake that's just whispering your name from the fridge. Come and eat me. You're going to take a week-long day off from exercising like you usually do. And the only all-expenses-paid awesome trip you're going to take this year is to London, Ohio, okay? Okay? Now, we do it every single year. We always let our guard down, and we forget about all these New Year's resolutions that we want to keep. And we can attribute it to many things. You know, it's laziness, you know, just kind of sloth. Lack of willpower It's a good one. Or just distraction. But I think there's a couple reasons that we always fail miserably. I think two main reasons. I think number one is because we're always trying to modify a behavior without chipping away at our hearts, the internal motivator of New Year's resolutions. And number two, I think it's because almost always we go about New Year's resolutions individually, alone, without community. And without a changed heart, and without a good, solid community that can keep you accountable and driven toward your goals, we're destined to fail miserably. In our new year's goals so this morning what i want to do with you is just dream a little bit about some new year's resolutions for our church and in doing so i want to lay out a vision that is rooted in the pages of scripture what better new year's resolution for our church than to get back to the heart of what matters to love god and to love others wholeheartedly If you have your copy of God's Word, please turn with me to Matthew 22, verses 34 through 40. I'll be reading through the uh, New International Version, or as my Bible snob friends, they call it the Non-Inspired Version. Although I think it's inspired and inspiring. We can talk about that later. Read with me, please. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in law, tested him with this question. Teacher what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. Please pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, please open our minds and our eyes and most of all our hearts towards what you want us to know today. I pray that you'll use your word to transform our hearts, our minds, our wills, our actions this year, Lord. Lord, I pray that you'll use me as an instrument to, to bring the word of God to everyone, most of all myself, Heavenly Father. I pray that your word will be just pronounced boldly, loudly, And clearly, Heavenly Father, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So before I start to unpack these few verses, I want to set up a little bit of context, okay? The previous chapter, Matthew chapter 21, shows Jesus entering the gates of Jerusalem uh, aboard a donkey, okay? And everyone's shouting, Hosanna in the highest! Hosanna to the Son of David! Uh, But it's not really all celebration when Jesus enters that, that city. Yeah, he does some miracles, but the first really big episode is when he gets down to business in the temple. And he throws all the money changers out of the temple. He says, you violated my father's house. You've turned it into a house of thieves and lies. So Jesus, you know, in, this, in the first few verses of Matthew chapter 21, he can tell he's not a very quiet person. And then we read that he yells at a fig tree because there's no fruit on it. Who does that? And the, and the disciples are like, are you nuts? Like, what just happened there? And then Jesus is just like, don't you understand my power? Don't you know who I am? Where is your faith? You doubt. And then Jesus starts to tell all these parables, okay, these earthly stories with rich spiritual meanings and themes. And he starts to describe the kingdom of God and God's plan and all the events leading up to his inevitable death and resurrection. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees, who were like these quasi-religio-political leaders of the day, they start to catch wind of this Jesus character because everyone listens to him. They catch wind of how his whole entire message, his whole entire life, contradicts and challenges all of their authority. And these Pharisees, they were good, upstanding religious people who knew God's word backwards and forwards And they start to conspire together, you know, how can we get rid of this Jesus guy because he's stealing all of our thunder? So they decide to ask him a bunch of questions, okay? And they ask him really, really tough questions. Questions where if you were to ask an average person, they totally just botch him and get him wrong. So the first question, you guys know this one, the very first question they ask him is, uh, who should we give our money to? God, Caesar, what is it? And Jesus says, give to Caesar that which is Caesar's, and give to God that which is God's. Now, if Jesus had said, give to God all the money, the Pharisees and the religious leaders, they would tell the Roman authorities and say, look, he's a zealot. He's an anarchist. However, if he said, give... the government all your money, they would have, they would have appealed to the Sanhedrin, which was like the big uh, religious authority, saying this man's a blasphemer. Either way, if Jesus answered one of those two extremes, he would have been executed on the spot. However, he chooses the right answer. Give to God that which is God's. Give to Caesar that which is Caesar's. And everybody is marveled by his answer. So then the Sadducees, who are kind of like the Pharisees, but with some theological differences, they ask him another question, kind of rooted in their theology, their understanding of things. We won't get into that now. But they say, if a woman is married to seven brothers and they all die, whose wife will she be in heaven? And Jesus says, you guys have no clue what you're talking about. There's no marriage in heaven. God is the God of the living, not the dead. And Jesus answers the right way again, and everyone marvels at his answer. So Jesus is pretty patient up until this point, okay? He's a very patient person. The Pharisees realize that Jesus totally shut up those Sadducees, okay? And they ask him, So, what's the greatest commandment? And the Pharisee asking this is most likely an, an expert in the law, or, or basically like an Old Testament scholar. He asks him, What is the greatest commandment? And we know what he says, we just read it. To love God and to love others. Now, if Jesus said, What commandment? I don't believe in the law. They would have probably appealed to the Sanhedrin, that big governing body, in order to punish Jesus. Now, that sets up some pretty good context there, I think. But I think we need to read ahead, okay, to really see the magnitude of these uh, these passages of Scripture. Jesus is pretty patient with these religious leaders who are out for blood. Yes, Jesus can get angry. Yes, he can get passionate. But he's perfectly patient with them. So Jesus turns around while they're all still there, and he asks them a question. Look with me at verses 41 through 45. When they're all gathered together, Jesus says, What do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? Well, the son of David, they replied. He said to them, How is it then that David, speaking by the Spirit, calls him Lord? For he says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord... How can he be his son? No one could say a word in reply. And from that day on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. So these religious leaders are asking Jesus all these questions, okay? And then Jesus turns the tables on them. And notice how at the end of those verses, it says that no one dared ask Jesus any more questions. In spirit, they agreed with what Jesus was saying. It was all good. If it all stopped there, Jesus and the Pharisees would have gone to Starbucks afterwards to continue conversations upon conversation, and things would have been honky-dory. But it doesn't stop there. Just when you finish the chapter, and everything seems okay, Jesus, he can't take these people anymore. If you look at the next chapter, chapter 23, he totally rips them out for everything that they wore, their entire belief system, the way that they conducted business. Look at those harsh words. I'm going to read some excerpts that I think are my favorite throughout this passage. It says, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses's seat, so you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. You hypocrites, you shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those who are enter who are trying to. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when you've succeeded, you make him twice the son of hell as you are. You give a tenth of your spices, mint and dill and cumin. But you have neglected the more important matters of the law. Justice, mercy, faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean out the inside of the cup and the dish, and then you also will be clean. You are like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones, everything unclean. In the same way... Outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. And he calls them a brood of vipers, snakes. And he scorns these religious leaders for so many things, focusing on the tiny matters of the law while neglecting the biggest things, possessing hearts that are totally far from God, getting in the way of God's work and being evil, despicable hypocrites. Now let's get back to our verses, Matthew 22, verses 34 through 40. When the Pharisee asks Jesus what the greatest commandment is, Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, with all your mind. And like I said, this particular Pharisee was, was an expert. He probably had a PhD in, in Old Testament. And his mind probably wandered back to, to uh, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 10. If you have your copy of God's Word or just your Bible app or whatever, turn with me there real quick. It says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And that's the part that Jesus quotes. It says that these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. And press them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your forehead. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Now to contextualize that set of verses there, uh, Moses has just gone through a big summary of all the commandments that God handed him at Mount Sinai. He basically says that if you keep these commandments, you will have life and life abundant. Moses tells the Israelites, that the children of God, That if they truly love the Lord their God, they will impress these commandments upon their hearts and keep them at the forefront of their minds. Now the sin of the Pharisees, what Jesus gets after them for, is because they paid lip service to these few verses without actually understanding the spirit of it. What they were all about. They went to great efforts to impress these commandments on their kids and talk about them and practice them. But they forgot that one key verse, verse 6. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. The Israelites were to write these commandments right here. And in refusing to do so, the Pharisees violated the whole heart of the Old Testament law. I think the big problem with these religious leaders are all big problems that humans throughout the millennia have faced we as humans we love to overcomplexify things we we say we love simplicity but we really don't it always needs to be more complex it can't be that simple the pharisees and the sadducees had everything in the word of god for centuries they had over 600 laws to live by but that was too simple for them they needed to add some complexity to it so they added more and more and more things to the law And moreover, as humans, when we realize there's a problem, our tendency is to to do something, okay? If you have a problem gorging yourself on pretzels, okay, you're going to try and stop gorging yourself on pretzels and just go cold turkey without asking yourself, you know, what's the deeper issue here? Do I have a problem that goes deeper than gorging myself on pretzels? Is there something wrong with my heart? You can replace pretzels with TV or movies or whatever. For me, it's Swedish fish, those little, you know, red candies that I love. You guys like them, right? Good. I was going to call you haters if you didn't. Now, uh, before I go any further, I want to clear something up, okay? I'm not calling anybody in this room a Pharisee right here, okay? I've seen pastors do this in the past at different churches, and it's just, it doesn't end very, very well, okay? If anything, people in this church, you guys are the anti-Pharisees. I've heard stories, okay? And I've known you, most of you for about a year and a half, and I truly believe that you guys love the Lord wholeheartedly, that you're passionate about the gospel, that you want to see the kingdom of God come to fruition here in BG. And I'm thankful that we're so far away from being like those Pharisees. However, we're still human, And we are just as able to fall into the same traps as the Pharisees did. The Pharisees were able to fall into those same traps of not getting to the root of the issue. Of letting their hearts deviate from God. And as a result, not living as the agents of change that God has intended for us to be. The reason that the heart is so important it's because that's where god chooses to deal with us as humans. Just think about all those verses in the old testament about the heart. For Samuel 16:7, for man looks on the outside, but god looks at the heart. In Jeremiah 17, I the Lord search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. And In a verse before that, it says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it but God himself? Flash forward to Matthew chapter 15. Jesus says, what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts murder, adultery, sexual morality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. We can be the best of human beings. We can be the most holy people out there, just like the Pharisees. We can abstain from doing some really, really, really bad things. We can give to the poor. But unless our hearts are in it, and the motivation is correct, and our hearts are transformed by Christ, it's pointless. So what I want to do this morning and next week is look at what it means to go back to the heart of it all, to love God wholeheartedly, to love our neighbors as ourselves, not only what it means for our individual hearts, but for our corporate heart as a church. And I want to discuss the ways that we can practice showing our new hearts as individuals and in turn really transform our hearts from the inside out. And as a result, let our corporate heart heart loving for god loving for others show and the first way that we do this number one is through preaching the gospel we preach the truth of god's love to ourselves and to our culture we live the gospel out through sharing of life with everyone that we encounter our love for god and our love for others pour out into every single thing that we do somehow hoping that the gospel will escape our hearts and influence our speech in the hopes of allowing the gospel to transform people's hearts. Preaching the gospel isn't the job of a select few. It's the job of everybody who calls themselves by the name of Christ. And when I say gospel, I want to be clear that gospel is the truth that God is redeeming and restoring everything in this world through the death and resurrection of jesus christ it isn't believe in jesus you get to go to heaven it isn't believe in jesus you'll have a honky dory life the gospel is so much deeper and richer and more powerful than we sometimes care to admit and the gospel touches on every single area of life and culture Remember that quote that I like to send out with every single email that I send out. There's not one square inch over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine. Your work, your family, your neighborhood, our government, Jesus has complete authority over everything and is seeking to transform everything from the inside out, from the heart and out. By confessing faith in Jesus What we are saying is that our hope for this world doesn't come from anything but him. And it's Jesus who empowers us to use our new hearts to make this world a better place in preparation for the next. And we come to grow in the life of faith through studying God's word, through discipleship. Remember that God's word was written through the Holy Spirit, the one whom God has sent to be with us. And it is in the power of the Holy Spirit who nourishes our hearts in our lives and helps us to become more and more like Jesus Christ. When we preach the gospel and live the gospel out with our words and with our lives, our hearts are transferred more and more into the image of Christ. And as a result, we can't help but be more and more like Jesus. Preaching and living the gospel must be at the top of our New Year's resolution list. And the second thing, the second way we let our heart for God show is through cultivating worship. Worship is nothing more than simply giving God the honor that he is due. And one of the most common ways we do this is through through song and through praise every single Sunday. I'm thankful we have a great worship director and a great worship team that seeks to bring us closer and closer to God every single Sunday. When we worship, what we're doing is we're retelling the story of our salvation week in and week out. We sing about how God has rescued us from the power of darkness, given us new life and new hope, given us joy and how we care for the least of these. There's a reason that Paul exhorts the Colossians to give yourselves the psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms because there's something special when God's people get together and praise him. It's as C.S. Lewis even said that we only learn to behave ourselves. Let our hearts show in the presence of God. But singing is only one small part of worshiping God. We worship when we point people toward Jesus Christ as the only source of eternal life. By bringing him the honor and the glory that he is due, people see that we're a different kind of people. Not driven by things of this world, but driven by a God who loves and cares about us from the inside out. The more we pray and express our heartfelt devotion toward God throughout the week... We become shaped more and more into the image of Christ in our hearts. Our new hearts are made new day after day after day. Jack Hafer, the great Pentecostal preacher, once said, Worship changes the worshiper into the image of the one worshipped. So these practices of preaching the gospel and worshiping are not only things that we do to bring honor and glory to God, but it also transforms us from the inside out, from our hearts on out. The more we preach the gospel to ourselves and to others, the more our heart sinks up and attunes itself to the rhythms of how God is moving in the world. The more we worship, the more we're reminded that we worship an awesome God who wants the best for us, who's compassionate, slow to anger, kind, just, merciful. The more we worship, the more our hearts are renewed. Now, both preaching and and worship, these are things that we do on Sunday. We love to go to church. We love to hear a great sermon. We love to hear great worship music. But the rest of the week, we often live our life with our physical and figurative hands at our sides instead of up here giving God the honor and praise that he's due. I pray that as we resolve to renew our hearts in 2015, that we genuinely let our heart for God show in everything we do during the week. Amen? Imagine that as a church, we resolve to preach the gospel, tell the story of Jesus with our lives, and seek to worship him on Sundays and the rest of the week. What kind of magic can happen? What kind of awesome things can happen? The kind of church that we can be, the kind of people that we can be, the kind of things that we could do? Imagine if individually we resolved to let our love for God show in these acts of preaching the gospel and cultivating worship in our lives. Imagine how transformed our town would become if we showed our passion for the one true God. Imagine how our hearts would be changed if we devoted ourselves to these things. And imagine how present the gospel would be right here in Bowling Green. There's a simple truth here. And the truth is this. That resolution is only one letter away from revolution. It doesn't take much. Great movements start very small, like a little spark of fire that can catch everything aflame. I think it was the great theologian John Wesley that said, Catch yourself on fire with enthusiasm and people will come from miles To watch you burn. But any revolution starts with your transformed heart. It begins with confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord. And submitting to his will for your life. Begins with accepting him not only as your savior. But as your Lord. The person that rules over you. It begins right here. I challenge you this 2015 Let your heart show. Will you pray with me? You can stand and pray with me, please. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for the gift of the new heart, the new heart that's transformed, Lord, empowering so that we can be agents of change here in our world, in our broken world, Lord. I pray that as we resolve to let our new hearts show in 2015, Lord, that you give us courage and perseverance lord cuz it isn't always easy i pray that you'll give us strength hope you'll give us joy in 2015 you'll renew our hearts day after day and if there's anyone here who feels a tug on their heart from you i pray that they'll respond with joy and with gladness lord thank you so much for this gift of the new heart i pray that you'll give us courage to let our new heart show. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.